Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome back to the Bruised Banana FC podcast where we've gone another international break and but we finally get to actually watch Arsenal play football again which has been really really nice. I am joined by and with the help obviously of the Bruised Banana FC random superlative adjective generator I can tell you that I am the windiest Luke and I'm joined by the craziest Ben. So Ben calm down, calm down the you craziness. Doctor's appointment How- mate get that win sorted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, before you did one actually. Um, how have you enjoyed the international break, mate? Have you watched much football? No, haven't watched any of it. Uh, is that true? Who did England play first? Malta. Uh, I don't remember any of that game, so I'm going to assume I didn't watch it. <laughs> I think I think anyone that did watch it probably repressed it. To be fair, and then it was very we bad. Played North Macedonia. Is that, yes. is that the second game? Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. watch that. Um, saw the result. <laughs> I did laughed a bit. Not great. Um, yeah, but it's it's one of those, isn't it? You, no football fan enjoys the international break. I don't think any of the players enjoy the international break. Um, and we just look forward to the Premier League starting again. And it, yeah, fair, it start, really starts much. with the cracker, doesn't it? We've got City Liverpool first thing. <sighs> that's going to be amazing. That's that's the thing, isn't it? Is that it's like when we go to the international break and it gets to the first weekend of the national break, I, I do find myself like, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah even if there I've got be- plans like I'm still just like I, I, I go to look at my phone to see the scores or to see what games are on and then there's just nothing there but uh, yeah and it's right. the same with like group chats or like anything you're in it's there's nothing going on because there's no like Saturday afternoon normally there's stuff going in the group chat or like funny bits and nobody nobody's watching you know Panama Venezuela or something and going oh did you see this <laughs> like, it's just not happening yeah, no, that is true. But there is one thing that was in our group chat, and I think it was actually you that put it in there, that Kai Havertz made uh, an appearance, or actually like played both games for Germany at left-back. And obviously very, very surprising. Uh, I have got the like a quote here from Julian Nagelsmann where he said, we have different formations. Kai won't always be in this position. I have a great idea for him because he's an exceptionally good footballer. This is a very good option. He won't always play as a classic left back. And I will say that I didn't watch either of these games, so I haven't got a full context. But I watched one of those uh, kind of highlight videos, like a Kai Havertz highlight video for the game against Turkey. And I expected him to kind of be doing Zinchenko things, but it wasn't really like that. It looked, I mean, he was a little bit inverted. He kind of, kind of came in at points, but like for general, it kind of looked like a pre-orthodox left back role. What, what was your first impression of this? Yeah. Um, first of all, every single manager that Kai Havertz has had has said that he's supremely talented as a footballer and then proceeded to play him anywhere but his seemingly favoured position, which to me is bonkers. <laughs> like, everyone says, oh, he's so good at football. He's so, you know, if he was that good, he'd be playing as number 10. You know, you'd be building the team around him. It feels like he's one of those players that is just sort of an addition that people want to throw in because he has some good qualities, but need to mask his mass like deficiencies in some areas and left back is not a position i ever thought i'd see him play i'll be honest um he's he's what six foot four it didn't really like you expect left backs to be like short and and speedy 
for a six foot four attacking midfielder playing left back is it's certainly something. Um, and like you, I didn't watch any of the games, but um, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen at Arsenal because I'd be. I think I think Twitter would be up in arms. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> I don't even consider it happening at Arsenal. Um, come on. So similarly, um, Life Matthias said Habits brings a lot of quality, but he was not trained in this position. Um, but in the offensive and mainly centrally, I accept that the national coach wanted to try something out, but I hope it doesn't happen again. Even though Habits was one of the better players against Turkey, which was a game I think they won. They uh, they lost three two. Um, after going ahead, so not not yep. the ideal start. And then they lost to Austria two 0 really. so um, yep. not a great international break. And it's so weird because I feel like Germany have really struggled at fullback for a while now. Um, I remember was it twenty eighteen? Maybe they had Christoph Kramer there, who was a defensive midfielder. Philip Lahm's obviously excellent, or was excellent for them. And then they've got Kimmich, who sort of now plays DM, but was initially a right back. And it feels like they always seem to play with two centre-backs, and then either two centre-backs at full-back or midfielders turned full-backs. And they've never really been able to uh, produce, in the recent history anyway, decent full-backs, which is really weird to me because they're such a good footballing nation. But they seem to just struggle at full-back so much. It is weird as well, because I'm pretty sure at one point, and this, to be fair, Jonas Hector was a good player from what I remember, but I'm sure there was a point where he actually went down to the Bundes 2, and they still had him in the German team as like the first choice left back, just because there was no one better there. Um, So it is weird. Yeah, and it's kind of like, do you remember when England had like just no left wingers? Yeah. Um, oh like Gerard played there, Skulls played there. I think like Joe Cole maybe suited a little bit more at the point, but like... It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like, just they're, so sometimes they're... generations just skips a position for no what reason. What what their defenders are doing is like what England's midfield did in sort of the early two thousands, where we just put four centre mids in, had Gerard and Lampard in the middle, and then put like Skulls and Cole on either side and called it a a regular midfield. Um, yeah, it's very <laughs> strange. Uh, obviously, they're hosting Euro twenty twenty four this year or this summer. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on. But this Kai Havertz experiment at left-back is... I don't think I'm on board with it. Um, I'm not sure what his... From, from what we've seen of him so far at Arsenal, I'm not sure that his best qualities come at full-back. Um, I, don't, I don't know if someone can educate me who watched the games about how he was actually quite good, and I'm sure he was okay. But it feels like that's... like You want him closer to goal, and you're moving him further away from goal. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, that is true. And I don't think we'll see it at Arsenal, fingers crossed. But I will say that if at any point Tomiyasu and Zinchenko um, are both kind of pick up a knock, I might do a little butt clench in a, in anticipation for, for the team sheet after that game. Would Would you rather have left-back Kai Havertz or left-back Cedric? <laughs> I think, honestly, I'd rather Kai Havertz there. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it's a question that needs to be asked because... Tomiyasu and Zinchenko are both yeah. pretty injury prone. I mean, it's, it's already kind of bad enough that Cedric's made his way back onto the bench. He's closer than he should be already. <laughs> yeah, well, he might leave in January for all we know. And he's out of contract yeah, this summer. He's hanging on, so. though. He's hanging on. So let's move on to like the next 
really weird international kind of dilemma that's kind of happened. And that's in a, a certain um, Gabriel Jesus quote that has been kind of clipped up and <laughs> shown around. And, and it feels like a lot of people have a big problem with this, but the, the full quote is this. There are things I don't control. I train, I look, I try, I move, I help the team. Um, the goal is inevitable. I believe it's not my strong point, but I score goals and I'm there to score goals. When I come back, it will happen. I work quietly. I'm not one to respond to criticism. And I've seen a lot of, um, before I've read this quote, I've seen a lot of um, scoring goals is not my strong point, Gabby Jesus. And I've seen that like, all over my timeline, essentially, before I've seen this quote. So I can I can see why people have taken it out of context because it's been shoved in their face out of context, right? But I do think that as well, even when I saw that first quote, I, it didn't annoy me because I know that Gabriel Jesus' strongest point isn't scoring goals. He's a unicorn of a player. He he does everything, essentially, and he's been transformational for us for things other than goals. doesn't mean that we shouldn't want him to score a bit more than he does. But... I did think the, the the overall reaction was very, very over the top. What, what, is, what do you think, Ben? Um, yeah, I mean, I still haven't read the full quote. I sort of logged on to Twitter, saw uh, Gabriel Jesus doesn't, I, you know, I, scoring goals isn't my strong point or whatever it was. When, well, that's sort of what everybody knows already. Everyone's been saying that for years and logged off again. Um, I think it, you're, you're right in there. It's, it's quite self-explanatory that scoring goals has never been his strong point. Um, like, his... Sorry, not his strong point. His his like selling point. You know, he's not a finisher. Mm. He does so much more for the team than just that. Um, but scoring goals has never been his strong point, and the fact that he's the first to admit it maybe suggests that, that, that maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe he's you know he's conscious of the fact that he knows his strength and he knows his weaknesses, and that mm. I think that can only be a good thing. He's not going to pretend to be a goal scorer when he's not. Um, and he probably knows that if he's not yeah, scoring enough, he needs to do more around the pitch to link it up. It's the same as you know, if if Perlo was to come out and say defending wasn't my strong point as a number six, then people aren't going to kick off about that because they're going to say, yeah, we know this. he doesn't defend very well, yeah. we just, but we also know that he plays like 15 amazing passes per game minimum. I guess it just depends. So, You've got to be very good at other things to make up for it. Um, and I think he's proven during his time at Arsenal that he is, yeah. Um, but I'd, uh, you know, it's not like Richarlison where goals isn't his strong point and link up play isn't his strong point. Um, <laughs> nothing draw comparison across the Brazil squad. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, I, I, it was taken very out of context and it gave rival fans a laugh because ha ha ha, how can Arsenal's number nine not be good at scoring goals? You know, but it is just, it's a nothing quote really, isn't it? Yeah. And just as a little, don't know. This is a bit of a bit of tribalism for you here. Like, um, I did see someone post this, and I thought it was quite interesting that in the Premier League, Gabriel Jesus has got seventy goals and thirty-five assists in one hundred ninety-two games. Didier Drogba has got one hundred four goals and fifty-five assists in two hundred fifty-four games, which means Gabriel Jesus would need to get thirty-four goals and twenty assists in the next sixty-two games to match Drogba, and. I'm not saying that he will do that. I think he'd have to play quite well to reach those numbers. But I think when he gets to that n- number of games, it's going to be close. You know, it's, it's not, there's not going to be like a massive difference between the two. So are yeah. we going to then start questioning Drogba's goal records? One of the best I mean, Chelsea strikers, I, if not the best Chelsea striker over like the last two decades? I, th- I think 
Drogba's scoring records already questioned. You know, a lot of people try and put him in brackets that he probably doesn't belong, even though he was a phenomenal big game player. You know, in terms of regularly scoring goals, um, he doesn't belong at the very, very top table. And that's the same for Gabriel Jesus, even though his um, goal and assist record is quite good. Like you, he would not feature highly on your list of strikers that you would want to have a one-on-one chance with someone having a gun to your head. You know, it's that kind of vibe. <laughs> that's that's a really like extreme example, but I really like it. And I agree. Well, it's true, it. isn't it? Like, it's like <laughs> no, it is you know, true, if true. if if the ball falls to anyone thirty yards out in the ninety-fifth minute, needing a winner, it's Thomas Party is not the man you want. Nor's Nuno Tavares. We just know these things. <laughs> First hand experience. Yeah, exactly. Like you just have to accept them and they're these footballers do have flaws. Gabriel Jesus has a lot of flaws, but he also has so many strengths that outweigh them. So and, and also we have goal scoring wingers, goal scoring midfielders, like it's I always think it's best when goals are shared around a squad. Yeah, granted, it's great if your striker can get twenty five plus, but if your striker gets fifteen and that allows both wingers to get 20 and your midfielder to get 15, like goals will come and he links up play so well that whilst it would be nice to have a clinical strikers, I think it's a bit like Xhaka in that we don't know what we don't have and or we don't know what we have until it's not there anymore. Yeah, and I've, we notice the difference hugely when Gabby Jesus doesn't play, to be honest. I mean, let's start, like, I, I really like Trossard and I think Trossard's come into a lot of good form and he's had like a good moment over the international break where there's that kind of clip of him uh, lifting the ball over a slide challenge and you know he's he feels like he's kind of transforming into a really good option at centre forward, but I still think that the the whole package that Gabby Deuce uh, brings in that position is just so so good. Still, even if his goal record isn't really like what you'd want it to be, I think it it helps so many of the players around him. And and just like another thing, just to throw on top, just in, in, for his case, obviously in, in terms of the Champions League, he's got like three goals and assists in like two hundred and forty minutes this season for us, um, and he's been fantastic in the Champions League this season like I think maybe the fact that we haven't seen it as much in the Premier League the Champions League form goes a bit under the radar but you know he's also got more Champions League goals than Firmino who scored 23 Romario scored 22 um so sorry he's got like Joe has got 23 goals more than Firmino 22 Romario 20 Ronaldinho 18 and Ronaldo 14 so you know he's in good company so oh yeah I think I agree with you I just think that we need to uh to appreciate a bit more of what he does instead of focusing on the thing that we all know isn't his main strength. But another reason we could talk about, just to give him a quick mention, because Martinelli scored his first goal for Brazil, starting up front against Colombia. It's, it's an amazing moment for him as well. I think it's, it's, he's been so richly deserved. because so I think he's been overlooked um, a while. Because obviously, you know, Brazil have such amazing talent in his main position of left wing, like Vinicius Jr., such a good player. Neymar's really good. Um, uh, these are like top level players and obviously now Neymar picked up a big injury Vinicius Junior picked up a big injury in that game against Colombia so it does look like now Martinelli's got I mean I don't know exactly when the next uh, international window is but he, he's got a chance now to really make that kind of left wing position his own like like, like we, we spoke about it before but just in terms of your opinion on the ceiling that Gabriel Martinelli has like you know like it, it feels to me like he could be the next top quality goal scoring winger in the world and I don't don't think I'm really over acting it when I say that yeah I think um he needs he needs better end product in terms of uh finding teammates with crosses specifically and cutbacks um it feels like that's the bit of his game that really needs to go to the next level 
like just consistently finding teammates and it's hard because obviously you're playing against a low block you've already beaten two players to get to the byline or you've been two players to get to an area to pull the ball back and there's six more players in the box but we saw with severe i think he beat that defender eight times or something um and not one pullback found a teammate um so it's one of those things that it just there's not i don't think there's any doubt about his goal scoring ability I think we need to get him in those positions more, but especially sort of in away games, we get him in really good goal scoring positions. He loves making that out to in run um, that, you know, puts him through. I think we've seen it against Brighton. We've seen it against Villa. Um, I just think that it is just that final product that, that, that maybe taking your breath and pulling the ball back to a teammate that we need to find, because then his numbers will skyrocket. Like if he can do that, then, all the work, all the great work he does on the wing suddenly gets the recognition because he's getting ten more assists a season or eight more assists a season, you know. So that that for me is where he is. I think he is a phenomenal talent, and I think he's going to continue um, growing. I think as he learns the game more, he'll continue growing as well. I think he's he's quite different to Saka because Saka already has quite a strong, like a very very strong understanding of the game. Saka consistently makes the right decision. I think that's mm-hmm. that's what makes him so yeah. so good. Like he's really good technically, but he always like he makes the decision that feels like it's the highest payoff. Whereas Martinelli doesn't quite have that yet, and he might never get it. But I don't think there's many better coaches to work with than Mikel Arteta when it comes to fine tuning that. I was going to say exactly that. To be honest, I think Gabriel Martinelli is in the perfect place to evolve into what he needs to evolve into. And I like what you said about Sacco Martinelli. It's very fire and ice. Uh, partnership isn't it in, in that sense of like like Saka's just cool and calm and and very calculated and cold and then you've kind of just got <laughs> the chaos the the kind of the hellfire and brimstone that that mentally uh, mentally kind of brings every time he gets on the ball and it's almost nice and I mean like I completely agree with you like he needs end product is like the main thing he needs to be able to score more goals he needs to be able to make the most out of positions he gets into to create goals as well but I do like that the, the fact that it's two different wingers that that can do that job like that they can they sit wide they're on the touchline a lot when they get the ball they have the ability to kind of drive inside whether that's on the ball or off the ball and I like the idea that we can kind of usually go to Saka because as you say he makes the right decisions so much of the time and that creates space for other people but I also like the fact that if we're in a game where stuff's not really working and you know tactically it's not, we're not really at it and we just need someone to show a bit of drive, a bit of determination. We can go to Martinelli and he just gets his head down and runs. And it's not always the right decision, but it's such a, a powerful thing, I think. So yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that because he was out injured for a little while, he's, he's taking a bit of time as well to get back to the Martinelli that we saw last season. But I do think he's getting there now. And um, before we come on to Brentford, because we obviously will talk about Brentford, which is the game coming up at the weekend, we also have, you know, a, a nice bit of kind of, like a transfer roundup, I suppose, from like the last few days. And I think the, the main news today, as reported by Fabrizio Romano, where he said that um, he understands Arsenal decides to seal the David Raya deal in 2024. It's all guaranteed as buy option clause will be triggered for £27 million. Raya already signed a potential long-term contract as Arsenal player for June 2024, all done. Brentford accepted the offer um, at this structure due to FFP. So obviously David Raya's come in. He's... Without a, like a shadow of a doubt, usurped the the like Aaron Ramsdale, and obviously there's been a lot of talk about whether or not Ramsdale deserves to come back in, have a go. We know that he will play against Brentford, 
which is going to be just kind of an interesting, an interesting thing to throw into this storyline. But obviously, I think we already knew that we were going to make this deal permanent because you, it was it didn't feel like something that was going to happen. Like if it wasn't going to be made permanent. But do you think the announce of this is that final nail in the coffin for Ramsdale, or do you still think that in some Doctor Strange universe there's still a way that he gets back in? Yeah, I don't think that all the press speculation has helped Ramsdale's cause much. Um it Agreed. did it does yes. feel it does feel very much that Raya is Arteta's number one until further notice, irrespective of what happens. Um I, I it does feel like he's slowly winning the fans over as well. I don't know about you, but it, it to me it's like Ramsdale's done nothing in the chances that he's had to make fans clamor for him to play ahead of Raya. Um, and then all we've got is the stuff coming out in the media that slowly sort of drip feeds Arsenal fans into a more... Like, they, they sort of close ranks, I suppose. Um, I think... I mean, I think it's I think the nails are already well in the coffin, to be honest. I don't think Ramsdale will want to stay and play second fiddle, especially now... I think I can't remember who said it, but someone said that Sam Johnston was now England's number two, which is really ridiculous for so many reasons. But mm. um, it means that Ramsdale's fallen down the pecking order, so he'll want to leave to get game time again, especially if Arsenal can't guarantee it. Um, so I do think it's one of those things where Arsenal just have to take a decent chunk of money for him. Because don't forget, last last season he was valued as the most valuable goalkeeper in the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it just feels like Arsenal aren't going to get what most fans will want Arsenal to get for Ramsdale, um, which is sad, but also a reflection of the market. Because where does he go? Is if you're looking at his departure, you're looking maybe Chelsea, Bayern Munich. They're the two sides that have been interested. Um, and I can't see Bayern Munich. I mean, they balked at the idea of signing David Rea, didn't they? So. I can't see them splashing out 45, 50 million on a goalkeeper. Maybe they will. It doesn't seem likely to me. They'll try and do some deal that involves a loan, maybe with a option to buy or whatever. That being said, can you imagine, it's just come to me, can you imagine Ramsdale with the away fans in Germany? How much fun that would be. <laughs> I'd, um, I'd like him, yeah. for obvious reasons, I'd like him to go to Germany. Um, yeah. Mostly because, <laughs> other than Chelsea, I'm, I don't really see any other overseas kind of uh, places for him. Like, and I, I'd hate for him to go to Chelsea because I like him and I want to keep liking. Yeah, him. well, that's the thing, isn't it? He's also he's got that Matteo Guendouzi trait of being loved by his own fans, and every other fan base hates him because he just riles them up. And I'd hate to be on the receiving end of that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think the, I guess the the thing that we've got in our favour in terms of if it does come down to selling him is obviously he signed a new deal quite recently, so he's not kind of in that David Raya purgatory of he's got one year left, blah blah blah. Because he's going to go for a free, he's going to stay. So he's his contract position is quite strong. The club have quite a lot of control over that, um, and also um, Chelsea paid what twenty five million for Brighton's uh, second choice goalkeeper. Yeah. So I think we're in like a fairly strong position. I, I'm, I think Suters is is the problem, isn't it? It's it's where he goes because he doesn't go to Liverpool, doesn't go to C, um, doesn't go to Man United unless they really figure out they've like if they've made a mistake on Anana or not, which I don't see happening. I think he'd probably like come at least partially good eventually. 
and um, and then you're looking. Obviously, he's not going to go Spurs, and you kind of got Chelsea in that realm. Like, obviously, not going to go Villa either. Like, even Villa have got money. You know, they're they're not going to buy him to replace uh, Martinez. So, um, it does feel like Brighton. Same. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very much like you know. Um, I'd rate Ramsdale personally over Nick Pope, but they're not going to replace Nick Pope with Ramsdale, are they? I think they're probably too close for that kind of outlay. Um. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if he was to go to Bayern Munich, I'd be fairly happy with that. I suppose I think we'd probably get a half decent deal, but I guess it's unfortunate. Like going back to the the Nick Ramsden interview, it really surprised me to be honest because I, I don't know if it was premeditated, and I don't really know what his intentions were with that interview, whether or not he just wanted to vent, or if he feels because he feels a bit hard done by, or you know, he feels like on behalf of. of of Aaron Ramsdale is he's been a bit hard done by, but it felt to me a bit like the spotlight was just coming off of Ramsdale. Like it, for the first time in a long time, the camera wasn't panning to him every game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it felt like for, it's, it's much better position for, for him to be in, right? Like the fact that he can work a bit more quietly. He's not going to be in the news every week because we've kind of got news. Like we know Ryan's going to be go every week. So it's not big news anymore. And then he can just quietly go about his business. And, you know, if um, if it comes to the to the point where he gets back in, then he's got a better platform to do that. But but the, the Nick Ramsdale interview has just thrown the, the spotlight back on Ramsdale times 10. And now, like, when we play Brentford on Saturday, is it Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. I think we're at 5.30. Wow, 5.30. Um, so when we play Brentford on Saturday, obviously Ramsdale's going to play. Now, it's, it's huge for Ramsdale now. Because at the end of the day, he came in against West Ham. He wasn't very good, if I'm being honest. I don't think he was the, the the biggest evil of that game. There were a lot of people who played worse than him. But at the same time, he did not stake his claim in that game. And then after that, you've got an interview from the dad that obviously feels hard done by. And, um, uh, and you know, he made a point to say that the fans have to support Raya and whatnot, which is like, you know, fair enough. But I feel like you've already kind of said a lot to <laughs> to almost kind of insinuate the opposite. So I didn't really understand it, to be honest. I don't understand the motives of it. I didn't understand the point of it. I just think that you have to let it unfold because football can change very quickly. I, I do agree with you. I do think that that, that, that final nail in the coffin is probably done. I think Arteta just thinks Raya is a better keeper than Ramsdale. And even though Raya hasn't been as convincing as you'd probably like him to be, his stats still eclipse Ramsdale this season. So even though I yeah. think that he's made kind of individual errors and moments where if Ramsdale was to come back in, then I'd understand it. Um, but I can also understand the point of what's the point of putting in a keeper that you, you don't see the long-term future with. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we've all said, you know, you, me, like Justin said it as well, like we're in, I'm sure agrees. We all like Ramsdale. Like I love Ramsdale. Like I've kind of, he's like, as you say, like, his own fans love him. We've built it's so easy to build a bond of Ramsdale as an Arsenal player. I would love him to be the better goalkeeper, but I don't think he is. And that can change quickly, but I don't see it changing quickly. Um uh, so yeah, so that's, that's... myself. Should we move on to Brentford? Yeah. We've actually got a bit more for them. <laughs> one more. Oh we got a bit busy. we got two more. We got two more, two more, two more. But one one is kind of a segue into Brentford, so it's like a half and half. Before then, um, uh, Sammy McBell reporting that Arsenal are preparing to open talks with Takahiro Tomiyasu 
over contract extension. And he says, just months after we featured on a list of players, the club were open to selling. I love it when reporters describe it like, you know, like war chest list, as if there was like a list, like Arsenal kind of like got like a, a quill in ink and started writing on players that, that we wanted to get rid of. Um, but I, I do understand it in the sense that in the summer, it was a little bit up in the air because he hadn't played in a long time. Obviously, he's had injury issues and we just signed Timber. It did kind of look like he was going to get fleeting minutes if everyone stayed fit. Um, but obviously, as, as we're saying of Ramsdale, football changes fast. Timber got injured. Zinchenko's had injury problems. Uh, Tomiyasu's kind of come in on a few games and done really well. And he's kind of built himself up now to the point where him and Zinchenko can be a bit of an either-or thing. Um, so do, do you agree this contract extension? And and in terms of the links to, again, Bayern Munich, do you think that is something that is legitimate? Or Because I've seen people speculate it might be kind of agent-driven as well. I think Bayern Munich would be very sensible to try and target him. I don't think that they would have the money to do it. I think he's he kind of reminds me of... I was thinking this earlier when we were having early thoughts about the podcast... He reminds me a bit of Nathan Ake at Manchester City. Or like maybe mm. Nathan Ake last season. Not stylistically, but in terms of he's the sort of player that everyone forgets. Like you'll list off Manchester City defenders and you'll go, oh, you know, that back four is Carl Walker, uh, John Stones, Ruben Diaz and uh, Manuel Kanji or whatever. And someone will go, oh, and Nathan Ake. And you'll go, oh yeah, they have actually got a really good defender there that just is there and can play any of those positions really well. And Tommy Ethel is sort of like that because... I think he was forgotten about for lots of last season because of injuries. And now he's back and he's sort of like, oh yeah, he is actually a really good defender and he can play in any of those positions if necessary, as he's shown for Japan. And as you know, he's shown a left back and right back for Arsenal. So I think he's the sort of player that you definitely want to keep around just because he covers so much of the pitch without having to bloat the squad further. Um, and he's, you know, he, he can never complain about having too few minutes if he's managed properly because he can have minutes on either side. So in that sense, I'm you know I'm really happy that he's getting a new contract. I think it's well-deserved. I think he's come on a lot since he first arrived, especially at sort of doing that inverting role that we've seen him do this season. So I think it's a, it's another good move from Arsenal. They're, they're getting, I say they're getting, they are very good at tying down their better players to long-term deals, whether it's Erdogan, Saka, Martinelli, you know, we spoke about Ramsdale, Gabriel, Saliba, Ben White, Tommy Asso, um, they're the two that really probably need a new deal because they're the two in that team where they're still in their prime and they haven't got a long-term deal at the moment. They have, then you know the jury's out on the likes of Fabio Vieira, Havertz, Reese Nelson. Obviously, got his new deal, and then there's the new signings that came in in the last eighteen months. But I think he's the he's the next logical player, um, probably after Ben White, to give a new contract to, just because. It ties down what is already a very young squad for longer and protects their value as well. Yeah, and I think it going along with that, um, one of the things that Arsenal have gotten much better at is that they've got much better at signing players that start off on lower wages, which kind of gives them room to move up. And a lot of the speculation I've seen about why the whole Bayern Munich links might be agent-driven is that Tommy Asu at this point in time is on like relatively low wages. Like I think speculated like, between like 30, 50K kind of thing, which I don't know if that's true or not, but but, but supposedly he's on like lower wages than than other players that get the kind of minutes that he gets in the team. But because he's been signed on those, it gives us kind of a clear ladder of extension in the sense that now they could offer him maybe like 70, 80K. 
if if that's not you know if, if that's above what he's on currently now. Whereas beforehand we'd sign like Socrates and put him on like 120 straight off the bat and stuff like that. So um, I think the club has gotten much better at that, and it, like and the fact that we're able to convince these players to stay as well is is a big thing. So we've got like one more uh, kind of discussion about the transfer. So like John Cross from the Mirror said, Arsenal remain very interested in Ivan Tony, but they also have to sell to stay in line with spending rules while strengthening the midfield, which um, I don't know how much of the, the 27 million for Rye is going to count to that in January as well. Um, and then he's also said, with potentially a new loan signing as Villa's Douglas Louise is more of a long-term option is now higher priority. So obviously we know that Partey has his injury issues, um, Declan Rice at this point in time feels like he's playing every minute more through necessity than the fact that we want him to play every minute um, Thomas Partey's been linked with Juventus I'm sure at points more he'll be linked to Saudi Arabia um, it, when it comes to January do you think that is essential that we sign in a certain area and, and do you think that centre midfield is the area or would you say that we can hold off on that and go for an Ivan Tony to, to tr- try and really round off this squad or, or like, what do you think is is the the kind of need for for January in terms of transfers? Well, I think I think we spoke about it before the international break that um, defender, fullback specifically, was a key area that we need to strengthen. Um, I think central midfielder is also one. I feel like we can be more lenient with striker. I would, I'm sure everybody would love a striker that scores thirty goals a season, but the reality is, I don't think Ivan Tony's that player, and he'll cost an absolute fortune. It feels like we have bodies there at least. Like Trossard can play there, Havertz can play there, Anketia can play there, Jesus can play there, all to varying levels. So we're still light at fullback and with Thomas Party going on. Am I right in saying Mohamed Oneni is also going to go? I presume he's well, going with Egypt. Oh, African Cup of Nations. Yeah, surely. Surely. So I don't know Egypt's roster, but I'd imagine it, if he's fit, he's going. <laughs> It sounds it sounds stupid to say, oh, we're losing our fourth choice DM, but it will leave us with Jorginho, Rice, Erdegaard, Havertz, Fabio Vieira, unless I'm missing mm-hmm. someone. Maybe Emil Smith-Rowe if he's back. And that does feel a bit light. At the same time, though, like, I don't, like, buying from a Premier League club in January for any sort of deal um, that is, you know, not a... Not an unwanted player. Like Jorginho was a pretty unwanted player at Chelsea. Trossard was obviously having his dispute with Brighton, and Brighton are pretty good at letting players go for the right sort of fee that they demand. Villa, to me, like that Douglas Luiz deal is a non starter. Like I can't see how we'd get him for anything less than sixty million. He signed a new contract money. Yeah. last year. Um we had to thirty million bid rejected before we did that. Like he would be big money and I don't know where Arsenal would sell a player from like wherever you sell a player from in that squad it weakens it significantly like that sounds super obvious I know but like I don't know who you'd sell for that sort of money to be able to bring in Douglas Lewis for 60 million pounds or whatever it will be probably more I don't know he's had a great start to the season and it feels like a midfielder on the cheap like like a like kind of like a Jorginho signing like a steady Eddie kind of midfielder mm. would be good. Um, there's a bloke at Leverkusen that's really good. Um, Swiss bloke, <laughs> can't remember his name. But um, we need we need to, we need to make this a, a weekly, a weekly yeah. joke on the pod. I think. <laughs> but um, a central midfielder and a fullback, I think, are the two places that I would strengthen if I were in charge of Arsenal in January. I don't know. What 
what do you think? Because I know you're um, not massive on Ivan Tony, but you, I don't know, where do you stand on Douglas Louise? It, it, kind of similarly to Ivan Tony, to be fair, because I like both players and I see the appeal of both players, especially the fact that they're both Premier League proven. And I like the idea that Ivan Tony gives us something that uh, that novice striker we have in, in the squads would give us. So, like, I agree with you in the sense that, I mean, I know Havertz has got the height, but I just think that Tony has, like, the height and the intent. And I think that he's technically probably a bit better than some people give him credit for. And even though I know that some of the statistics don't really back this, like, just watching him, I feel like he could be, um, like, a, a striker that could score a lot of goals for a team that, that gives him the right platform to do so. Um but obviously the the kind of money that is being quoted is, is quite large. In terms of like Douglas Louise, again, like I like him. Like when we were linked with him before, like when we were going to sign him or try to sign him on deadline day, um was it last season? Was it the summer deadline day? Yeah, summer season? of twenty twenty two. Yeah, I when think we, we linked three him bids. Then, and all for like what's that twenty, twenty five ish mil, wasn't it? Yeah, twenty five like, to thirty mil, I think. Mm. When we linked him then, like I was, I was fairly happy with it. To be fair, like um, it, to me in my mind at the time, it wasn't an ideal. And, and another one, like if you look at his stats, a lot of his stats aren't really anything to shout about. But I think when you watch him, you kind of see that he has a lot of like tools in his um in his box. Like he, it feels like he can carry really well. He defends quite well. He's got a good passing range. He, he's not a strict six, but you can play him there. You can play in that kind of slightly higher jacker role, bit of a playmaker, bit of a ball carrier. He's He's got like a bit of everything, bit maybe of like a, a jack of all trades, master of none type player, but still fairly high level at doing what he does. So I can see why we like him. And obviously, you know, there's the, the Premier League experience that Arteta likes and the fact he's Brazilian that Edu likes. So I think it's quite easy to make links. But and, when he, and signed, he came through the City, uh, City Academy. Oh, yeah. And then he, he went did, to Girona yeah. and then, or vice versa, mm. I can't remember which. Yeah, yeah. I think he's good. He's he's good. He's well-rounded. He knows the league. Um, uh, he can have a barbecue with Edu and speak Portuguese to him, which I'm sure is um is a big <laughs> thing for, for Edu's transfer talks. Right. Uh, enough enough of the, the fancy words. If I give you £60 million in January, who are you buying or who are you trying to buy? Are you trying to haggle oh. a deal for Tony? Are you buying <laughs> Louise? Are you buying a different midfielder <laughs> and a fullback? You know, what are you doing with it? I think if you give me £60 million, you're running away with it. <laughs> Starting your own business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gone. There's a Luke-shaped hole through that wall. Um, uh, on- honestly, um, honestly, I would say that we can find good quality centre midfielders and wing backs for quite small prices and maybe even loan deals to kind of tide us over. I'd say if a striker that the the club see as a striker that's good enough to play as a starting striker for Arsenal, possibly Ivan Tony, if, if that's the guy that they think. Um if they think he's the guy, then I'd say you sixty million go get him. Because not to say I don't love Gabby Jesus. We had like the, the conversation earlier on in the podcast, I love Gabby Jesus. Um uh, I think Trossard as well, to be fair to him, has actually kind of shown something in that position that I think is really, really impressive. Um as much as I like Nketiah He's just not going to be the answer if I'm being really, really, really honest. Um, so I would say if there is a striker that a club think is going to be that guy, then go get him because 
at the end of the day, we've seen that the, the trend has kind of changed now. Like a lot of the big teams are signing the bigger strikers, like, you know, Haaland's gone to see. Hoyland was like another big one that's gone through. Vlahovic's stock has fallen quite recently and he's actually been linked to us again. But like, again, it feels like uh, those strikers are really kind of coming back into it now. So as I say, I'm not 100% saying that Tony is the guy, but I'm saying if the club thinks Tony's the guy, then he should be the, the priority, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, di- I disagree. I mean, I I see your reasoning. I just I just think that A, I don't think he's the guy. Um feels like a lot of money to spend on what is is he a twenty eight year old? Um Yeah, he's nowadays. I feel like I feel like he's very tailor tailored to Brentford's system, which we don't do. I think it's just one of those that for me is a lot of smoke, but doesn't necessarily mean that we'll follow through on it. I, don't, I mean, I'm okay, I'm okay with signing him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be thrilled with signing him for eighty million. Um, but I think I've just got residual scars from Pepe when we spend anything like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it just feels to me like we'll need a midfielder and a defender before. Like maybe maybe we were light on the squad planning over the summer. But it it does feel like we've gone into the season and we're a bit sort of square pegs in round holes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, I don't know. I, the, more I, the more I think about it, the less sure I am. When I came on, I thought, you know what? I think we need a midfielder and a right back. I agree. I think they can be found cheap. But I don't think that means we should spend the money on Tony. That's just me, I think. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Okay. Brentford. Hey, we're going to play football this weekend, Ben. Or not? I mean, potentially you and me separately, but Arsenal Football Club are going to play football for the first time in a little while. So Brentford away. This is a tough game. <laughs> um, we made it look quite simple last season. We we won there, was it 3-0 last season? And I remember like Fabio Vieira scored a really, really good goal. And it was actually a game that Odegaard was injured for, um, who was reportedly back in training and in contention to play this one. So that is a... Is, is a was- Pretty good news. Was that the game Nwanieri came on, or was that the home game? It was. It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, that damn Arteta. How dare he? <laughs> we haven't seen him again since. That means he, Arteta must hate the youth. <laughs> Literally. Another, it's a nice stat for Brentford's from, from you know, Orbino on Twitter, who um, very stereotypically shares the really positive stats in relation to Arsenal games. They said that only Liverpool and Man City, who haven't lost any, have lost fewer home games in the Premier League than Brentford in 2023. Hasn't actually mentioned how many Brentford have lost. I haven't looked yet, but supposedly it can't be much. And it's definitely more than none. So Brentford very good at home, which is probably something we already knew. Um, uh, They've got three wins, two losses in the last five. They lost um, against Man United. They lost against uh, Liverpool. So... They're a bit of an up and down team. Like, um, did, did you watch the game against Chelsea? I thought they were really good in the game against Chelsea. Um, yeah, but I don't know how much that was Chelsea being absolutely terrible because they couldn't seem to break down the block that Brentford yeah. put up. Um, I thought I thought Chelsea were they they were sort of as you'd expect Chelsea decent until they got into the final third and then everything went wrong. Um, and Brentford loved that because they can just hit them on the break. And they did. <laughs> and yeah, they did. exactly. And that's that's the beauty of Brentford, isn't it? Is that they're so comfortable in that shape. Like usually, when you see a team 
defend that deep that early, you think well, a goal is a matter of time because no team can defend like in it wasn't like a mega low block but in in a block that low like most teams can't defend that low for such a large period of time and admittedly it partially is down to the fact that Chelsea struggled to break down deep blocks like we know this there's like a common theme of their season but also um Brentford are just so organized they're so organized they're so good in the duels um they have so much clarity in how they play and that's such like an under talked about and valuable thing of football is is Thomas Frank has given them ultimate confidence in how they play. And, you know, when we play them, they're going to do the same thing. And and we've seen that, you know, they've gone to Anfield and played really well. They've had taken people to to their, their gaff and played really, really well. They know how to manage these games and be calm and eventually get chances. And one of the big players in the absence of Ivan Tony has been Brian uh, Mbuemo, who's got six goals and two assists in the last 12 games. Um, do you think he's the main threat to us? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's, I think I thought he was really underrated last season and um, he's doing bits for my FPL this season. So that's always good. But um, <laughs> he's, he's 24. Like, so I said it last year, and someone said it on Twitter recently. I think Mbappe literally replied to them. But he's twenty four. If you took a look at him, I thought I thought he was like twenty nine, thirty. He was one yeah. of the people that Brentford had had <laughs> kicking around the club since their championship days. Did, but did you see what he replied to someone that said that to him? No. What did he say? It's <laughs> quite funny. Let me find him. Um, uh, you, you you continue to say it. I'll find it. It's really funny. I was just going to say, I think he's um, he was very underrated last season, and I think he's been very good this season. I think he thrives on the added responsibility. Um, he it feels like he is their sort of only threat, though that and and set pieces because they they played mm. they played a lot for set pieces with Tony in the side as well. Do you remember? Yeah, um, I think I remember uh, at the Etihad, the game before the World Cup break, when they won two one, there was a goal that came directly from a set piece. Uh, just a long ball flicked back into the box, so we're we're got to be wary of set pieces. But we're we're traditionally quite good from set pieces. It might, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's a game that Havertz gets minutes in specifically because he's tall and good from set pieces. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, we're good at set pieces as long as they remember to check for offsides. Yes, yes. Well, hopefully, hopefully, right. just leave a little memo on the VAR table. I think just like remember if, if just check for offsides. Sometimes it's, it's not Lee Mason this week, is it? <laughs> could you imagine i've not even looked oh my god could you imagine but yeah no um i think we should be like as long as we can defend set piece as well which we tend to be able to do i think we'll be all right because brentford are very good at attacking but we're we are very good at sort of condensing the pitch into that half and we have saliba who covers ridiculous amounts of ground um and gabriel who's not bad either so if i mean touch wood we should be okay but it, you're right it will be tough and I don't think it will be a cricket score like um, I mean, last year was 3-0 and pretty comfortable I think it might be a bit more edgy than that but I think we should just about come through it and fingers crossed uh, one of the teams well one of Liverpool or Manchester City have dropped points at that point or both ideally but um, mm-hmm. yeah that would be good because it means that if we win if we win we go second no matter what, right? Minimum, yeah, surely. Minimum, yeah. So yeah. that's good. Um, 
And that'll be that'll be ideal, obviously. And Brentford aren't doing great this season. So hopefully, hopefully it pans out as we expect. But football really does. So I don't know. Hmm. I feel like I've rambled on Embuemo a lot. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I think he's a really good player as well, to be honest. And just to kind of put it in there, is it was a uh, a Chelsea fan uh, called Janty said, I still can't believe Embuemo is only 24 years old. I thought this guy was around the 30s. And Embuemo's quote tweeted him saying, how can I make myself younger then? <laughs> so, uh, well, it's nice that there, he's, is, he's there is a certain uh, nation of, of barbers. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that we've already seen Rob Robert Holding, of holding about yeah. <laughs> or Gabrielle in fact I'm sure let, you know oh, what, this weekend don't go near the goal just talk to Gabrielle about, about <laughs> Turkish barbers yeah I think he's class to be fair I actually think that he's good enough to play for um, uh, a better club than Brentford's and that's not any disrespect to Brentford I think they're a really cool club um, but I do think that you know, I was looking at his numbers earlier. I'm actually going to find him again because um, you can see that his his numbers are like they're slowly edging up as the seasons go on. Like, um, and and a lot of the time he does play a bit kind of second fiddle to, to Ivan Tony. He does a lot of the grunt work. But you know, it's like um, in his first season in the Prem, he got four goals in 35. Obviously, not particularly um, brilliant. And then last season, nine in 38. And in this season, six and twelve, so like it's etching up. Do you know what I mean? Like it, by the time he gets to yeah. twenty six, he could be looking at pretty like legitimate numbers. Um, but, yeah, so yeah, no, I think, and I think he'll keep growing. Really and I'm sure he'll be one of those players. I think that is linked with a big club, and people sort of go, "Why on earth is he linked with a big club?" Because he doesn't have that like hype around him, like like mm. like Tony does, and like a lot of other, you know, like Pedro Neto does, for instance. Mm. Um, Jumbo Mane went to Liverpool for like 30 yeah, mil. Yeah, Southampton. Yeah. And people were like, 30 mil, that's a lot. <laughs> and yeah, and then I'm pretty like sure he. One of the best wingers he, in the Premier League. Didn't he tear us a new one with uh, Chambers and Holding at centre back? Yeah, quite a few times, to be fair. On, literally on his debut, I think we lost 4 1 to Liverpool and he scored twice or something. It was not, not, not fun. So, yeah, thanks for that one, Luke. Really appreciate that. <laughs> You're the one that brought it up. I was just saying he was good. I've got a question for you, though. I've got a question for you. And um, this is just before we go into, like, predictions and kind of just, like, ending off the podcast. Um, there, there tends to always be, like, a storyline when it comes to, like, Arsenal versus Brentford since they've got promoted. So you've got... We were there, their first game back in the Premier League at their new stadium. Do you remember, like, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, like, bouncing with, with the home fans, stuff like that? We had, like, a COVID crisis and we had to put out, like like following Balogun and Gary Martinelli um, had to play like, like all these like youngsters had to come in after that. You had the Ivan Tony tweet and then we used the Ivan Tony tweet as inspiration to beat them. And then Gabrielle did a tweet. And then in the last kind of season alone, you've got like the fact Erdegaard was missing and Vieira comes in to do a screamer. You've got the Nueneri debut. You've got the missed offside goal. That was one of the, the kind of peak moments of our derailed title challenge. My question to you is, I want you just to like, give me a potential storyline scenario that could come out of this game. That's hard. You know, um, we've had so many, it feels like we're running out. Like, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like George R. R. Martin. I've just run out of material now. Uh, what could we go with? Um, 
imagining like um, David Raya running onto the pitch and giving like uh, Ramsdale <laughs> a German suplex and then running over and putting on Brentford top on and saying, <laughs> Gunnosaurus being fielded at left wing after an injury crisis has <laughs> hit Arsenal. Um, no, I think, I mean, the obvious ones like Josh De Silva because he's ex-Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can score a goal. Yeah, he can. Maybe maybe a really obvious second yellow card for a Brentford player that doesn't get given by the referee and we all get annoyed because VAR can't check second yellow cards, I reckon. <laughs> That's what I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for... Well, who's going to play? You know what? I was talking about him earlier. I'm going to go for uh, Christopher Ayer. Oh, right Christopher back. Ayer to, to potentially reckon, play at right yeah. back. I reckon get, Martinelli get will burned skin by him. Martinelli. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, he'll get pulled back, and you know, do you, which one was it? Was it Palace we played where there was a a defender that like pulled back our player and got a yellow instead of a red for like denying goal scoring opportunity? Um, I can't remember who it was now. I think it was a couple of seasons back, but it'll basically um, be like that. Uh, and I will like bring him down. Martinelli's clean through and goal get. It should be a yellow, or should be a red, rather. He gets a yellow, then doesn't get a blatant second yellow or something. Like Lienko back back last season for Southampton. Oh, that, oh, good, that game. Good. Yeah, to be fair, that that does feel completely plausible. Um, uh, so let's, let's, let's do our, our predictions now. So um, uh, I'll start because you've uh, you've just done like a really nice uh, prediction for the storyline. So I'll say... The weird thing is, I actually always fancy us to keep a clean sheet away from home. Um, because I think that we're pretty decent. I'm going to say yeah. two nil Arsenal, and I'm going to say Trossard to score. What do you reckon? I like that. I like that. I like that. I don't think it'll be. Do I? No, I think it'll be two one. Um, and I'm going to go with. I mean, Saka to score is the obvious one, so I'm going to go with that. I got I just just to to be clear, I got the score and goal scorer right, I'm pretty sure, for the last one, didn't I? I think you did. I think you pretty did. sure I was bang it's, on for it's, that. So. It's that. You definitely said Trossard. Yeah. You definitely um, said anyone Trossard. Who, anyone who listened to the last podcast will know. I can't remember what I said. Uh, my brain has been filled with international mush. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as one of us is right, we're getting three points, and that's all that really matters. But yeah. I think... That's a good place for us to leave it. Uh, we've had a nice kind of recap of all the stuff that's kind of gone on over the last few weeks that we have been footballless and stuff that's probably like a lot of it probably has only happened today as well. So um, uh, thank you very much for listening this far. If you have, very much looking forward to actually be able to watch Arsenal again play football uh, this Saturday. Fingers crossed that we uh, get the three points. And as we kind of said earlier, we could potentially go second or even first. Um, I have been Luke. I've been joined by Ben. And this has been the Bruce Brunner FC podcast and up the Arsenal. Odegaard is joining in and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! Bakayo Saka beaten out by the race and touched in by Jesus! Bakayo Saka! Oh,